Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the uh, Collective Scope Podcast, and man, we are so excited to have Grayson Russell with us today. Now, if you don't know Grayson, you, you probably know him without knowing him, but he's been in some amazing uh, films, uh, Talladega Nights, which is... Probably one of my favorite films of all time. I don't know if I should say that publicly, no, but it was a great, great movie. And uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, uh, along with several other films. And I think you even have some coming out, which, yes. you know, if you want to promote those or if you can, uh, certainly feel free to, to do that. But um, he's a part of our campus, which is the yeah. most important narrative that we can talk about today. I mean, he's a Lee University student, a senior this year, getting ready to graduate. And so move on to bigger, better things. But so I've man, often said, Rob, before there were memes, there was Grayson Russell. That's true. Like the, what he said in Talladega Nights and then as Frankly on Diary of a Wimpy yep. Kid, like I've quoted forever. So, but I'm, I'm that old to remember those things. <laughs> I am too. I am too. But Grayson, welcome to the show. Thank man. you. We're so glad Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This Absolutely. is the first podcast I've ever done. So really? this is cool. Yeah. yeah this is, this well, is all, right. all new exciting. experience. Well, it's we good. knew you win. So no, <laughs> I don't know when was when when was was what did I say that when, right when was when when was when yeah so, I don't know well, we're our, glad you have you on this is our third show today okay. so sweet you might get a little bit of a loose cannon That's on fine. this side I, of the mic I appreciate and, that and I appreciate that That's our, our brains good. are a little bit mushy because we had an incredible show last last show but anyway so hey man I kind of tell us a little bit because um, it, it's not always you get the opportunity to set with somebody who's doing high-level uh, Hollywood blockbuster films. You don't really get a chance to sit down with them too often, at least I haven't, um, and just kind of talk about their art, their craft. And so what really got you into acting at such a young age? Uh, I, I didn't mean to at all, which was the crazy thing. And, and that's all God and no one will ever be able to you know, deny that. Um, I come from a super small town, yeah. middle of Alabama. Uh, my mom's an accountant. My dad's always done construction work. Grandparents are farmers, like nothing crazy at all. I wanted to ride bulls and be George Strait when I was a child. Amen. Um, nothing, that. nothing yeah. crazy. Oh, like like that. That, 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 that yeah. was it. Um, started doing commercials for a guy who who had gone to school with my mom, but he would use the you know, varsity cheer squad. So that was no big thing, just selling cars. Um, it ended up that. Uh, we ran into a lady who you know, just had a newspaper article on it. It was like, hey, you should take um, you should take Grace into this. It was an open call for an untitled Will Ferrell Adam McKay project at a high school in Birmingham. Um, and the only reason we went was because Dad went fishing and we were bored. That was it. That was the only reason we oh did it. We had nothing else to do. Um, so we went. We lined up. We got there. I went, auditioned, didn't know what was going on. I just read what they told me to. And uh, about two weeks later, they called Mom and said, hey, we want him to uh, – to come back to North Carolina to, to do a callback audition. And when we had no idea, like at this point, all I had done was just local car dealership commercials. Like we would dress up like Johnny Cash and use car salesmen. Like I was like a baby William Wallace at one point. <laughs> Can like, we get like, access to those? Oh, 100%. Like, we need to put those on. Like, like so it was nothing at? crazy. It was super, super small scale stuff. Um, and so I, I went in audition. They called mom. Hey, can we have him in Charlotte in two weeks? And at this point, like, mom didn't even think that this was, like, a real film. Like, you have to understand, we were entirely illiterate to the whole process. Right. We still are. Um, obviously, don't claim to know everything whatsoever. So we go to Charlotte. I audition. Um, we made, like, a family vacation out of it. Like, came back through Six Flags on the way back home. 
couple weeks later, they called us. They said, hey, we need you in Charlotte to, to begin filming for this uh, untitled Will Ferrell, Adam McKay project, which at that point in time, my folks had never seen Anchorman. This was 2005. Yeah. Uh, Elf had come out that Christmas, the Christmas before. Um, so obviously, like, I was big into that, but I didn't, I didn't know who Will Ferrell was. Um, and that was, that was the crazy part about it is we had no idea what we were getting into. And so we went, um, and that was that was a really hard thing to do because I, mean, I had grown up super conservative, Church of God, mm. my entire life. Right. So had my my mother. My dad was, you know, a, a heathen <laughs> until <laughs> until uh, until he met my mom, you know, whatever. But that was that was the hardest part was because we go in, we we read the script, and we see all these things that are definitely do not line up right. um, with everything that you know I was taught and my parents were taught. And that was a huge, um, definitely a test for us, for sure. sure. Um, we ended up going to Central Church of God while we were there, which is under Pastor Loran Livingston. Um, and, you know, we were there. We had done a, a couple weeks of rehearsals at Silver Hammer Studios in town. And I got saved, like, while we were filming Talladega Nights. We were over one of the weekends. Dad was up. Uh, came back, and it was like, okay, I need to kind of figure out what to do about all this because there's a ton of different things that I have to do and that I have to say that I am not comfortable with at all. I mean, I'm seven at the time, so, so what do I know? Sure. Um, we had just finished a rehearsal, and I think we were probably about to start filming that, that next week, if we hadn't started filming already. Uh, and I went in, and I was like, hey, Adam, do I really have to say all, all these things? And at that point in time, I didn't realize the titan that Adam McKay was, who was the director, right. that he would go on to be. I mean, everything that... Um, that Will essentially did, Adam directed. So you look at the other guys, you look at the campaign, you look at Step Brothers, all the monumental things that Will did, especially through the early um, 2000s, mid-2000s, up until the present, Adam was attached to it. Sure. I was like, hey, Mr. Adam, do I really have to say all these things? And I mean, he sat up and looked me in the eyes, was like, you don't have to say anything you're not comfortable with. To the point that whenever we're working, whenever we're doing stuff on set, most of the time, Adam and Will would just yell stuff at us to say. So you're looking at coming at you like a spider monkey was was entirely unscripted. That oh wasn't my, in the script. That, oh Listen, I've yes. said that yeah. like a thousand yeah. times this that week. Wasn't, that wasn't in the script. Scissor kick you in the back of the head wasn't in the back of the script. <laughs> I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew wasn't in the script. They had to pay royalties because Coke was the sponsor oh no. of, oh of NASCAR at that point in time. Um, so all kinds of different things. Um, throwing chips, war medals off the bridge. Like that was all... <laughs> Not scripted, that was me on stuff. But if at any point in time they yelled something profane for me to say, the whole set would lock down. No, he can't say that. We shouldn't make it. And, and it was it was very respectful. It wasn't like a like a downer, like, mm. oh, well, hey, he's not. No, it was, we're not going to make him say that. And they're like, oh, we are so sorry. Like the entire high, cool. you know, upper yeah. echelon of the, of the crew would, would apologize, which was the strangest thing because I'm just, I'm seven. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just I'm here for for a good time. Like I was entirely illiterate. What was going on? I think that's an interesting perspective. I mean, I, fortunately, I was able to spend some time in in California, you know, Southern California, Hollywood, um, and I had the privilege to meet and talk with several different people who were on currently running TV shows. I was on set um, of a couple of different shows, just with some people that I had an acquaintance with, and I think that's a unique perspective because we hear so much dark about Hollywood, you know, and I say that in quotes because it's more than just Hollywood. In fact, I think Atlanta is starting oh, to surpass yeah, Hollywood absolutely. in terms of making films and television shows. But the point is, 
the idea of that world is is very dark and I, and I, there is obviously darkness there but the point is there's also a lot of light and and a lot of the the guys that I hung out with not only just good people but there are also some really strong Christian believers yes, impacting the film industry much like yourself and so maybe just for a second just kind of unpack how you lead well in that darkness because it, it is I mean that's it's a different industry with a different motive and you know different outcomes but but at the same time there's some really great people working in that industry doing a lot of really good work so tell me about that um it's something that that thankfully my my mother always had to travel with me up until I turned 18. That mm -hmm. was required. She had to be with insider sound of me at all times. Um, so at that point, I had done 10 films with my mom present. I've done, I've done only two total that, that, that she wasn't there for. And that was always something that was at the forefront of our minds and, and at our hearts, uh, that she was always on me about just be very careful about what you say and, and, and what people see you do, even though your, your motives may be entirely pure. Um, and, and the biggest thing is walking it out. You have to. And for me, I get asked more questions about what is different about me and, and, and what do I believe and what do I stand for really without saying anything or really just not saying what they're saying is, is what it comes down to. Um, and and you, you drop subtle hints here and there when, sure. when, when people you know ask you, hey, what are you about? How do you, how do you get into all this? Um, I just recently wrapped up a, a World War II Navy movie with Tom Hanks. It's called Greyhound. Um, it'll be out in May. And I do not doubt that that God put me there for a reason, no more than a doubt that he put me on Talladega Nights for a reason or Rainbow Tribe, which is the second film I did for a reason. When we were doing, when we were doing Greyhound, um, we had to do boot camp with the Navy and Marines under Captain Dale Dye, who's this 74-year-old gung-ho, three-time Purple Heart recipient. He was the... Uh, he pioneered like senior military advising for Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, mm. Platoon. So we're there and we're working under him and some and some other Navy guys that are uh, you know recently retired or active duty, whatever. And we're and we're talking. I was like, yeah, no, it's just a, just a blessing to be here. And one of the guys was like, oh, so so you're like part of the faith. And and this guy, um, <laughs> I love I love him to death. He um brand new Christian. Um, he probably did everything but put a needle in his arm. Super fried guy, um, but as precious as could be. Production didn't put him up. He needed a place to stay. He slept on my futon for the better part of two months in my hotel room. And I could count, I, I definitely could not count on both hands how many two, three o'clock in the morning theological discussions wow. we had from this brand new dad, brand new husband, brand new Christian, uh, this ex special forces vet just sitting in the room you know and it and it was crazy because i would <laughs> i would wake up you know, you know in the morning or, or i'd go to bed at night and he'd be he'd be laying there with his sheets up to his neck i mean this huge just jack guy with like a dip in that was <laughs> as big as my fist and a black facial mask on and it was the wildest thing. but but i don't doubt for a second that god put me there for sure right for chief's sake, um, I wrapped up that shoot and had two or three people go, hey, you helped put a hope in humanity within me That's because cool. I had lost it. And I don't, I don't know how to take that, nor, nor I, don't, I don't think anyone should know how to take it when, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, you just gave me hope in humanity again. Yeah. yeah. 
um, when the second assistant director, who's essentially the, the boss, comes up and says, hey, I need you to pray for my sibling. She's sick. In passing, I didn't have a single Jesus-related conversation with any of these people at all, period. Um, and so that was why, because that totally takes you by surprise, because you're here and you're, you're working with Hanks and you're working with Stephen Graham, who's a titan from Boardwalk Empire, and Elizabeth right. Shue from right. Adventures in Babysitting and Karate Kid. You're working with all these super high-brass people, and yet still you have someone come and say, hey, I need you to pray for my sister. In passing, like, yeah. I have to turn around and be like, Ex- excuse me. like, you is talking th- to me? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> are, it, it, did you just say that? And that is that is the coolest thing, but it's also a, um, an entirely different level of pressure. I feel like sometimes I feel more pressure from that end than the professional side of it, which is yeah. which is super, super high pressure, high stress, because you're, you're working 13, 14, 15, pushing 16, 17 hours a day at times. And, you know, if you don't get your crap right, there can potentially be, I mean, on days when we were filming on the USS Kid, which is a, a World War II model destroyer, you know, we were going through millions a day. Mm. You can't hold that up, you yeah. know, you could because you didn't, you know, have your stuff to begin with. And that's super wild for me to just be in that situation. Do your yeah. deal, do your stuff, you know, and and you, you witness here and there by the things that you do and the things that you say, little by little. And and that, you know, ends up adding up through the thing. That's always huge. I'm always super grateful for that. Yeah. Um, the hardest part is when you drop the ball. Right. You know, is, is when you when you do something you shouldn't or you say something you shouldn't. Even, you know, to an extent that if that if I was here it'd leave people in my heart. And if I'm entirely blunt and say what I think and not that, that it is wrong or can be viewed sideways in any way. But then in my heart here, you know, when you're working in the middle of nowhere where you've just barely met these guys, they don't. And, you know, you right. have to work at that. It's a relationship thing. I can sleep on any of their couches. I could call them right now and say, hey, I'm in Baton Rouge. I'm in L.A. I'm in New York. I need a place to stay. No problem. They could do the same thing. Same thing for the Wimpy Kid guys, the Rambo Tribe crew, anyone that, that for the most part we've ever worked with for an right. extended period of time. But these guys, you you kind of you did your thing. You you walked it out. But they would call you on it. If you screwed something up. We were we were eating dinner one night and there was a it was super late. We were probably about eleven thirty. And there was this lady, she was she was at the bar and, and you know, she had too much and passed out. Bam, pap, right there on the floor. And I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Like, and I'm sorry. Because we I'm laugh I, about I, it. Yeah, I'm no, a, I'm we a, don't a, think it's yeah, funny. Let's yeah, 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 yeah. I laughed. I giggled. You would have thought that I murdered an infant in front of those guys. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And everyone on that set the next morning knew that I had laughed at some poor intoxicated woman the night before. And that was, like, for me, it was like, what, what standard are you holding me to here? Because I'm not a perfect individual. But it's interesting to see the, the, the pedestal and the portrait that they, you know, they put you they on, put they you put on. you in, um, you know, and how quick they'll jump on it, you know. Yeah. When you, you fall about, off the wagon. You talked about the, the Talladega Nights experience and some of the things you wouldn't say. Um, in light of that, has there been work that has been presented to you and just because of your faith belief, you, you said, I can't take that work? Or 
Were they willing to modify some things in other settings to allow you to be in the script? Or there's just been settings where you just said, no, I can't do that. Absolutely. Uh, you never you never want to walk in holier than thou at all. People, I mean, that's a bad vibe, whether right. you're a Christian or not. I mean, no, right. one, no one cares about that. Um, for me, that's, that's really difficult because probably half the work that I get submitted on um, or could get submitted on, I turn down. Um, and that's not, that's not work itself. That's mainly auditions or stuff that I'm just, I'm not comfortable with doing. Um, now you, you, you look at some of it that's okay. This is super sideways, but also there's a redemptive quality to that. And there's some grit here. And there is a story here that, um, that does make sense and, and, you know, lines up with some of the, with some of the stuff that I believe in what I do, even Mm -hmm. if it is, um, sideways is the easiest way I can say it. Um, that's always hard to kind of manage and sift through because I, I work at Westmore Church of God here, and I would always like to be able to come back and do yeah. that. <laughs> when it, whatever, you know, yeah. I'm gone for two and a half months, and we're doing a, uh, a a horror movie in Sacramento that's three, four weeks of night shoots. And you go, okay, you know, I have to keep in line and, and hold to what's right for me. Uh, I was in the literally a couple doors down from where we're at right now in 108. I got a call from a producer who did Mother's Day with us. He said, hey, we're doing a movie. I'm shooting the script. Pick which part you want. And I never had that happen before in my life. I had had some direct hires, but it was never, hey, I've got it. I'm shooting it to you. Pick which part you want. I was like, this man I had hardly ever met before, hardly knew him. Thank you, Jesus. Like, that's how it can happen. I might not have another job for five years, or I could get a call while we're sitting here. Yeah. This is, hey, we want you for three months in Russia. And on a plane, I'll go with bells on my feet. Um, they shoot me the script. It's a horror film that I would normally have never given time of day. And it's exactly what a American horror film you would you think it'd be. It's you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, minus rock and roll, um, and obviously something that I would never be comfortable with. And it hurt that I was even considering it solely because, had that not been the situation, had I not gotten a call that said, "Hey, I want you to be in this," I wouldn't have considered it otherwise. It was something that my mom and my dad would have seen it anyway, but it wasn't something that I was okay with my grandparents mm-hmm. seeing, and that hurt me. Um, because I was considering it and I prayed about it. I, I talked to Dr. Salyer a ton. He's the one I usually go to and stuff like that goes down. Um, obviously my family, Phil Cook, people that I look up to on a, um, on a spiritual level, on a personal level. I'm meeting with Phil Cook about, okay, if this is to transpire, how do I need, you know, my classes to work while I'm gone because I, I, I do school while I'm there. Uh, got a call from the producers. Hey, we're, we're going to have a meeting. We just want to run through some stuff with them. I'm thinking, oh God, I've got to sit here and just lay out this laundry list of things that I'm not okay with. And nobody wants to do that because again, that comes back to the, the holier than now stickler. Right. We're better than you kind of mindset aspect of it. And I just was like, Hey, uh, Howard, Mr. Howard, I'm, there are a couple things that, that I'm not getting there. Not comfortable with. And they start like, they had the script out there. Like, okay. Well, is it this? And they're flipping pages and I can hear it in the background. I'm going, Oh Jesus, because now I have to, you know, lay out again, my laundry list in front of not just the man who's hiring me, but the entire, you know, upper level staff. And I was like, oh, great, this is terrible. And I start talking about one or two things. Like, oh, oh, no one told you we're, we're dropping it to PG 13. So we're taking out X, Y, Z, the whole deal. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, I almost lost it right there in the like conference room of the admin building. You know, it's crazy how God works out and stuff like that. And then you get there, and that's a whole other opportunity on something that I never would have considered otherwise. So it's definitely something that you that you have to walk out and that you have to um, 
you know, you have to know where you drop that moral compass at. And yeah. some people have those in different places than others, and that's okay. you got to work out your own salvation. Yeah. The biggest thing that I struggle with is having to balance being in the world and not of it. Yep. Let me let me compliment you as a as a dad who has a girl who goes to Westmore and you lead some of the youth worship there. Yes, sir. They know you as as Grayson, not as a Fregley or the kid from Talladega Nights or any other movie. You have opened your life to those students and they see that. They see the authenticity. They see the realness about you. And so when you tell stories like this about not compromising um, it is redeeming to those of us who have students that you're impacting or those students who are on campus we know right. and you're having an impact with because I think you're in, a, you're in a bright spotlight with Hollywood and with movies and not compromising um, there when, when there's a lot of money on the line when you're making money. For the rest of us that aren't making a lot of money, we, we don't hit the bright spotlight, but yet we're, we're, we encounter the same sort of question should I compromise what I believe in that situation um, I think that's a huge value Grayson that you bring to the table and I just want to commend you on it because I, I know my daughter Kate speaks very highly of you um, and your work at Westmore and, and so that's great to hear that you're you're not willing to bend on those things yeah. um, I think for me you know is with little bit of interaction I've had with the industry and you know sitting here talking to you I think the assumption is for a lot of people that you do compromise, that there's no way around being true to your faith and actually doing good work in the industry, right? So uh, I think that's that's a I think that's a false claim. Number one, I think number two, if we were to look at it from a biblical perspective, is this not what Paul did? Did he not go among the Gentiles? Did he not go to you know Greek cultures and debate? on their gods and stuff like that. So, you know, as much as, as much as I would like to say, I think, I think you're kind of a, an apostle in this industry. And I, you know, I'm not trying yeah. to cast out, you yeah. know, titles or whatever. I'm just saying, uh, I think Hollywood's you're, definitely like Corinth oh, yeah, though. Yeah, Hollywood I mean, and Corinth have a lot <laughs> of Corinth have a lot of similarities, but I think, I think for you and how you approach your work, I mean, I think, um, you, you're really an apostle in an apostle in an industry that needs apostles. And so bringing that truth, bringing that love, bringing that grace, um, again, I think, as Jeff said, is commendable. And so uh, let's talk about celebrities for a second, because um, in our culture, celebrities sort of run the show, right? Uh, Politics, government, whatever you want to talk about, culture, fashion, uh, they sort of run the show a little bit. Uh, And that's cool. I mean, that's that's what they do. And so uh, that's all right. But in the church, I feel like we're starting to really see this celebrity mentality enter the church. Um, I'm not advocating for or against. I'm just saying, is there a place in the church for celebrities, and how do we sort of balance that conversation with with the gospel? I think there's a place for everything. Um, if I can be there and I can do what I'm doing and still stay true to it and maintain some level of success, I think you can do just about anything. Um, as far as celebrities in the church is is something you have to be careful with, um, and you have to walk that line fairly steady, solely because you are in pl- place already on a pedestal. Right. 
does that does that make sense um i mean if if you're you know known for you know worldwide for being a man of god then you better not botch it you know and and and, (laughs) that's the plan yeah 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 yeah, you you better (laughs) you better not you better not botch it um and and that's the thing i mean obviously i not that i don't want to be known as a man of god you know like when when i you know, kick over and what's written on my tombstone. I want that to be in there somewhere. You know, I want to be a good dad. I want to, I want to, you know, all these things that being at the top of the list, I think there's definitely a spot for celebrities there, whether they're celebrities within the church world. And that's the only world that there's celebrities in or, or outside of it. Um, but again, I think that's, that's a question of, you know, you've got to, you know, walk out your own salvation and that's between you and the good Lord. But that isn't something that, anyone and, and not that they take it lightly that's not what i'm saying at all um but that you should take lightly um because that's some heavy stuff and you you don't want to get in there and botch it right because if that's what you are known for i don't think you should be i'm trying to think how to say this um for me i'm known for being an actor and when people meet me, they understand what I'm about. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. If people know you as a a pastor or a worship leader, that's what you should be about. That should be, you know, your main goal. That's what you should live out. You just have to be careful because if that's something that you're on a pedestal for that particular reason, that is what you are known for, you have to have your stuff right, and you have to keep it there. And I think that's probably more pressure than, than not that it's worth, um, but I think we probably put more pressure there. I feel like you're under more pressure by Christians, right? Oh, yeah. Then, sorry, that took me a minute to work around. That's that's what I'm trying to say. I feel like Christian people will be, you know, much harder on you than the world would be, um, and that's hard because we have a, a really good record of shooting or wounded. Yes, we you know, do. and that's yes, we and maybe do. wounding them to begin with. Yeah, yeah. and 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 Cutting you know, winging them and wounding them to begin with. And I feel like there's there's more grace for people who are already established in whatever industry they are, opposed to those who are who are not. You know, they're established in the church world. But I mean, it, that just comes back to you know, be be careful if you're if you're teaching the gospel because if you do it wrong, you know, how much more is going to come down on you for mm-hmm. that? Right. So you mentioned being known as an actor. What what some people may not know about you is you have a heart for music. Yes, You're sir. part of our Lee U worship here on campus. You lead um, worship at a local church for the high school group. How did how did music become a part of your life? So, um, my dad sings in church. My mom sings in church. Um, again, grew up super small town, like nine thousand people. Um, I sing like I can only imagine when I was three by myself in like a pair of snakeskin boots and a vest because I wanted to be George you Strait. You wanted to be George Strait. I wanted Listen, to be George where Strait. Where do we get the footage of this stuff? Yeah. Where do we get I the have, car I have it somewhere. Oh, yeah. The... No, when I, was, when I was two years old, I would walk around saying, hi, my name is Grayson Claude Russell George Strait. Like, I used to introduce myself to <laughs> people. Like, they thought, like, I lived on a farm. Like, we had cows and horses. And I'm like, yo, I could hit Walmart with a rock. Like, yes. <laughs> I live, like, in the middle of town. Um, but music's always always been a huge part of my life. It, it, way before, I say way, it's only like three years before I started doing any form of acting um but that's always been been very much ingrained um in my being um and just in in my family i mean i come from a family of, of, of entertainers to an extent uh even though they are accountants and farmers sure. and, and construction workers and they they know how to 
have a good time and they're super joyful people. Mm-hmm. But I've always done music. When I was in second grade, I had a band that sang solely Bee Gees music. So even know who solely, the Bee Gees solely are, Bee Gees man. music. And have a nice day by Bon Jovi. That was the only exception that that, that we could. Of all the Bon Jovi of songs, the bon have a nice song, day. that was it. That I mean, was it. living on a so, prayer, dead so or alive. I I I guess stole my dad's. Uh, Mom got dad like this number BG's number ones, whatever CD for Christmas, which would have been in about '04. And I grabbed it and was like, this is the best thing I have ever heard. And so, I mean, you're not just looking at staying alive, which, you know, night fever more than a woman. Um, How deep is your love? All kinds of stuff that I was like totally just ate it up. And for me, I was very down down the line, down the middle. I love Lord of the Rings. And for me, that meant I'm not into Harry Potter or Star Wars. I love the Bee Gees. That means I don't listen to the Beatles. Love George Strait. That means I don't listen to George Jones. Like, oh come on! Now. I was, wow. I was, wow. I was very, go, I was very, I was very, I was very strict. Um, just I don't know why I was seven. I was like, this is what I believe, and you're not, you're not changing it. But we would be on set doing Talladega Nights. Again, I was, I was in second grade doing that, and Will and Adam McKay would come up and just start like singing these like homemade like made up Bee Gees songs like the where I'm the long lost like bear, uh, I can't I can't remember what like Larry Gibb or whatever oh and just like goodness. and just like start making up so music has always been a huge part of my life um the the church music thing really didn't roll around until I was about um gosh 11 or 12 I started leading worship for for our youth at home uh, and I did that for seven seven or so years all throughout high school and then came to Lee and never really, I knew that, that worship music would be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I had a band in second grade that sang Bee Gees music and I have a band now that, that I've always wanted to be like, okay, we do the Black Crows and Dave Matthews and um, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson, all kinds of stuff. Like I love doing that. Like I love that side of it too. Um, and God kind of, <laughs> he made me mad a little bit. Um, with, with, with the West stuff. That happens. Yeah, that happens. Way. Jesus will make you mad. Um, with there's a country yeah, song in yeah, that somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, again, like, I knew worship music would be a part. I didn't realize that it would be such a big part of my life. Um, and I didn't plan on, for sure, doing that for the rest of my life. Of course, like, acting is always at the forefront, and that's what I want to do. But I had no intention of getting plugged in, um, you know, near as as uh, tight as I had been with, with Westmore or with Lee U. I knew that I would I would be involved to an extent, um, but now I I can't see my life without it. Mm. And for a while, that was kind of frustrating. Not not because I didn't love it, because that wasn't what I had in mind. That wasn't what right, I had planned. Right. Um, and I love you know working with kids. And 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 by kids, gosh, I mean I'm I'm 21. I'm I'm still a kid. Um, and I'm working with high schoolers that I still very much remember what it was like um and right. in middle school too and that's that's the thing that i value is sitting a bunch of guys down and being like look this is what i did this worked this is what i did and it did not work and you should never even entertain the thought don't do that um, and, and you know don't do it and and i'm young enough that they respect it sure um and and that's what i appreciate is just is watching kids grow spiritually um mm-hmm. And not so much knowing that, you know, I was responsible because I'm not, um, but knowing that that you played a part in helping somebody. Yeah. Period. Whether that's on a set and they're saying, "Hey, you helped," like 
me hope in humanity again, which is huge. That's a strong um, statement. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it's yeah. a huge statement. Um, you know, or or the kids that, you know, I, I leave for two months and I go and work on a film. So I'm I'm leaving all the praise band kids. I'm leaving all the youth guys to you know they they do their thing and they they bring in someone to help. But you have those moments where I come back the first Wednesday night, and they've found their feet. They've had to figure out, okay, how do we do this? Because you know our you know facilitator is not here. Um, and you look at students that are that are now here at Lee that have found where they're supposed to be. Um, and you know you can't help but think, man, I help contribute to that. And again, not that I'm responsible by sure. any means, yeah. um, because there's so many people who who pour into these kids period not just at Westmore everywhere across yeah. the map um, that's my favorite thing to do is just sit and go man look at how far this particular individual has come yeah. not just musically um, you look physically emotionally spiritually like that is huge um, and also you, you turn that inside and go man look how far these kids have brought you you know, absolutely, because it's a whole different level of accountability. Yeah. Because again, it, it kind of comes back to the kind of Christian celebrity stuff. Is all right. You tell these kids what you believe, and you pour into them. You know, as a as a as a pastor, as a minister of music, whether that's a you know a celebrity one or not, they expect you to walk it out because you're trying to make them walk it out. Oh, yeah. uh, it's like all right. Well, if I have to quit doing X, Y. Z and whatever, well then, by God, you do too. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's an accountability there. There's a responsibility there that I've always loved because especially you know, coming off the college, uh, I mean Lee is a Christian liberal arts institution, and there's that, and you have the community covenant that you know you follow. But I mean you, you can you can do what you want to do, and you can be what you want to be, whether your mama knows it or not. Um, and there's an accountability with not so much leading worship, but just being active in some form of youth ministry, whether whether that's an, an, an institution or not. Yeah. That there's a responsibility there that you know what, I can't fly off the handle right now. Right. I'm actually old enough to remember the Bee Gees. Okay. On eight track, bro. Oh, okay. Snap. So, All right. yeah. Sweet. I'm, I'm not. Oh, I'm gonna say okay. I'm not. No, I had the eight track. My you know my parents had the eight track Bee Gees. You know. Village people, whole nine yards, yeah. right? So I'm that old. Yeah. But for Jeff and I, the whole reason why we're here, the reason why we created this show was because we feel very much from our own experiences as students who graduated from Lee several years ago, but as but from our own experiences, we feel this tremendous call, this responsibility to engage and be a part of of the stories and the narratives of students' lives, just like you. Yeah. And I love the fact that you that you brought this up because the whole point of, of what we're trying to do here is engage in conversations that are encouraging, are helpful for leaders, as well as the people that they're leading when it comes to this particular age group. I have a strong conviction that you should be able to serve where you learn so as students are coming in to Lee University from literally all over the world, they're coming into Lee University, my hope, and I know Jeff's hope is as well, that we actually get them plugged into a local church somewhere yeah. to be a part of that community, be a part of the fabric of that church, because it matters. It not only matters to that church, 
it matters to their experience while they're here at Lee. Because if they don't learn the discipline now, as one of the other guests on the show said, they don't learn the discipline now, it's certainly not going to change once they graduate. So you, of all people, have enough good reason not to be involved in a local church. Bro, you're a celebrity, right? You're in movies. You know, people know your face. I mean, I mean, you could be annoyed with autographs. I mean, the kids could... You understand what I'm yes, trying sir. to say, right? Yes, so you get that piece of it. I mean, that's your world. But what is that driving thing in you that says, no matter who I am professionally in acting or whatever, no matter how many films I make, there's that value of staying connected to a, to a local body, a community of believers that strengthens your faith, that impacts you, that shapes you in ways that nothing else can. So there's that piece. But, man peer-to-peer, because that's the way the change is going to happen. It doesn't matter how many college students listen to this podcast, and we hope there's a ton, but really, it's peer-to-peer. That's going to be the real change factor. So you're here. You're still a student. What would you say to incoming freshmen? What would you say to current seniors? Get involved in the local church. Do something bigger than yourself. I mean, just... What is that piece for you that's driving you to do that? And how can we help others do the same? I think it's really easy, um, especially as, as, as freshmen or, you know, outgoing seniors to even with all the wonderful different things that, that Lee has going on different, whether they're, they're clubs, organizations, what have you. Um, there's a very real danger of, of isolating yourself, mm-hmm. even with all the things going on. Um, um, and for me, I I lived in Bilby my first year. I loved living in a dorm because there was always something going on. Sure. We had this this guy that that played the fiddle that was like from the mountains of Appalachia that was raised by his grandmother. <laughs> wow. And I would be like in the bed at like four in the morning, and you would hear like legitimate mountain music, Amazing. like getting it like in the cluster, and and it's and it's craziness and it's wonderful and it's all fun, um, but. Even in the madness, it's so easy to just step back, and 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 that's okay to an to an extent. You not that I'm saying you have to be involved in everything because you can't um, overcommit. And I feel like that's something also very easy for freshmen to do. For me, it was okay. Come in, I want to do, I want to do a Greek club. I want to do a choir. I want to do SLC. I want to. I'm, I'm doing a sport. I'm doing this, that, and the other. Um, and you get spread out over so many things that you all want to do so well that you you really end up losing a whole lot of yourself in that and I mean it's the the same danger that you that you look at with with people who lead worship on a full-time basis or or pastor on a full-time basis is that you're you're not so much getting poured into because you're pouring into other people um that's a huge huge little bit of advice for me that's like okay Grayson you need to learn how to say no to some things um and then, you know, as you progress in the years that you're here, you figure out what you really can't handle. Um, because for me, you know, if I'm around a group of people, whether they're, you know, least students or not, whatever's going on, I know what I can handle. As far as academically, socially, you know, what's going on, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I know what I can handle and what I can't. And you have to figure that out. Um, and I feel like if, if you are overstressed 
overstretched, it's harder to do that. It's harder to take care of yourself. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me and that, that driving force is, okay, some things I have to limit myself to because I have to be able to take care of me. And that's not, that's not so much in, right. a, in a selfish um, way, um, but it's so that I can continue doing the things that I do and do them to the, to the extent that, that I do them. I mean, with, with Westmore... There's a ton of stuff they've got going on. And I love it. I love that there's so many things going on, but also it's like, okay, I have to take care of my spiritual life and myself before I ever attempt to, you know, help these other kids or, or help anyone else. Um, seniors, you know, I'm, I'm about to be out in May. You know, and there's plenty of things that I wish I did. There's plenty of, of conversations I wish I had, people that I wish I would spoken to, people that, you know, I wish I had opened myself up to and the reason I probably didn't was because I got into this that or the other and just you know made myself an island right you know, and that I wish I had and there there are relationships that I that I could have formed that I could have um invested in that I didn't um if I could turn around and trade places with any of the freshman guys that are in B.O.B. right now or Midland or wherever they're at I would no questions asked because there's there's a life there. There's there's a newness to, to coming into this new place and meeting all these new people that are all extremely genuine individuals. And it's visible. And that was that was the crazy thing for me was coming and saying, Oh man, I don't have to figure out how to work the politics of these relationships. Right. I don't have to try to read people and, and I've always been really bad about preconceived notions. And part of that's because I'm, well, I'm an actor and I've grown up in a in a fairly vicious career sure um mm -hmm. to where i have to be able to not only size up the character you know of the individual that i'm portraying but also the people that i'm working with and you have to figure out who's in your corner um and so coming to lee it wasn't so much on that i wasn't so tight with it you know we, we had guys that would come in that would you know look this way or look that way and I'd go, okay he's you know i'll put him in the in in his file or in his place we, we had one guy that <laughs> that i thought was the biggest redneck in the world and that's coming from me, which is a lot, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you look and I realize that he's a music biochem double major and the man's a genius. Wow. And you go, well, I, I pegged you wrong. And that yeah. was a relationship that I could have invested in on the front end that I wrote off. Yeah. And, it's, you know, there, there's, there are things that I wish I did that I haven't. So for me, I'm, I feel like my senior year is a lot of catch up um, and just trying to get back, you know, get everything out of it, squeeze the life out of it because, you know. And man, I won't be here anymore. Yeah, it happens once, that's yeah, for sure. You get, yeah, you, you get yeah. one shot at it. Unless yeah. you don't, then take well, then it for you, two. Then you get old. Yeah. And then you come back. Then, then you, you get old back. and you come back. And yeah. you're like, hey, I'm still cool. And they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, they know. It's, we yeah. we you're attempt not. to be cool, but no, we recognize it's, we're not. So that's why we have guys <laughs> like you on the podcast. So, um, what You're an Alabama guy. What Now, the Lee is part of the Church of God, and it's sponsored by the Church of God. But what brought you to Lee? Why, why a Christian college? I did not plan on Lee at all whatsoever. Um, I had a I had a full ride to do our local community college at home. I was going to do it online. That way, you know, if I get called to wherever I got to go work, whether that calls tomorrow or four years from now, I can do it. No question. I won't have to worry about academics. It's online. You know, I can still be there. Uh, I had done Teen Talent. Again, I grew up in the Church of God. So 
Danny Murray usually, you know, cornered me a little mm-hmm. bit. And was like, hey, not corner me. That's a bad way of putting it. Um, <laughs> no, he probably. But, so yeah, I know yeah, Danny. So those yeah. those that don't know the listener <laughs> podcast, Danny yeah. Murray leads Dan- Voices, Voices of Lee, the local acapella choir yeah. here on campus. Yeah. Um, so I, I met him through Teen Talent and was was recruited for Voices. So there was always a a draw there because of just the excellence that's associated with it. Not sure. that I'm that caliber by any means, but I knew that you know my dad always describes Danny as the you know the Nick Saban of collegiate singing yeah period. You, you're probably um, right. that's a great so for analogy. me so for me yeah. it's like all right cool you know and i could i, w- I would love to love the training and love the experience um that was always in the back of my head uh mom ended up just enrolling me kind of off the cuff into summer honors which is the the summer program they have yeah. here for juniors and seniors um mainly because i had come up to speak at westmore through it through a completely unrelated event um, that was through like Kids Fest and some random stuff. So I came in and spoke at Westmore and, and did some stuff with their kids. Like I was a sophomore in high school with no intention of coming to Lee. Uh, I stayed with, with uh, Dr. Andrew Lee and his wife, um, Esmeralda, who, who, who both go to Westmore. Dr. Lee is a, um, one of the English professors here yeah. on campus. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, you should, you, should, you should come. You should do our campus. And you know, I came and looked at it and thought it was cool. But again, at that point, I was a sophomore. I, yeah. I, I was... I'm going to act, whether that's go to L.A. or Atlanta. I knew that that would be a, a, a big step, whatever it was, but I knew that that time was coming. Um, did Summer Honors. It set the hook. Did exactly what it was supposed to do. Um, threw my life kind of up in a whirlwind because all my mom's family live on the same road. We can hit each other with rocks. You know, like... A lot of rock throwing. A, a, a lot of rock throwing. Maybe throw. you have. Yeah, and, and maybe we have. Maybe we have. <laughs> um, but no, we're all super close. And yeah. I and, and I never thought about leaving that. I always assumed. And and the and the, the great thing I, f- I feel about going off and acting was that even though I came up in a, in a small town, I was able to get out and kind of see right. a lot of different things, mm-hmm. um, good and bad and ugly. And you know, once I came home, all my buddies were like, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. And for me, I realized, shoot, you know. Clinton and all that bad. I never thought I would leave. Um, so coming to Lee was a huge decision. I don't think I actually made the call until about three weeks before moving right. day. Like it was, it was right there up to it. Um, again, kind of kind of goes back to, to Phil Cook um, was super adamant, you know, that they would work with my schedule should that happen. Which that was what I needed. If if that wasn't um, an option, then then I couldn't be here because acting's what I want to do. It's what I want to continue to pursue. Um, and the faculty have always been super great. I've done two films during the school year since I've been here. Um, the first one being Apparition, which is a horror film that'll be out. Um, we don't have a release date on that yet. And then Greyhound, which is the World War II one that'll be out in May. Um, both of which I was able to keep um, pretty much all my hours that I had. I had to drop one science class because I had a lab, and I, you know, couldn't can't be do, here for a lab. I can't be here for a lab, but you know, I can't have my my Bunsen burner going in the back of like <laughs> stage eight. Um, but that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, that would be, be wild. Um, Lee's um, just willingness to work, I feel like, with, with, with my schedule. And that's not just – I don't feel like that's solely because I'm an actor. Sure. Um, because the, the thing that's so special to me about this is is I have the relationships with my professors that I do. And I know that they have those same relationships with every other student. It has nothing to do with the fact that – you know the the things that I've done, what I've come from. I know that plays a part, and I understand that um, maybe on uh, initially, um, but I know that hey, when I have uh, you know 
essential life crisis that comes through that says, hey, we want you to do this film that I would never be comfortable with otherwise. I called my mom. I called Dr. Salyer. And I, I called Dr. Cook, called Phil Cook. Um, and that really had very, it had very little to do with academics. Those right. are the people that I looked up to in their field, but so much so more on, on just a personal and spiritual level saying, hey, this is what is going on. What do you think? Because I need help. Because this is something that I can't, I can't do this on my own because I, I need to figure this out. Because again, I want to be able to come back to a, a world that I know and that I'm familiar with that will also still respect me for going and doing the things I'm going and doing, um, regardless of the nature of the film, of the project. Uh, because so oftentimes, like you said, all we hear are horror stories, and we, right. and we push that and we say, all right, Hollywood is, you know, the... Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, the Antichrist. Evil. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you don't understand there's a, there's a lot of good that goes on in there. Right. But if you don't ever allow people to go in there and do it, then that's all it'll ever be. And that's the hard part is going and going, okay, I know I'm going to get criticized for X, Y, and Z from the people that I love and that I work with on a regular basis, which again goes back to kind of the celebrity Christian deals. you got to be, you got to know what you're stepping into there because Christians are super critical people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Myself included. Um, and, and that's hard. Um, but you have to understand that, you know, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm very thankful that, that I know that because I know, especially as, as either graduating seniors in college or high school or, or income freshmen, you're trying to kind of figure that out. I've been able to know that since I was seven. Yeah. Thank you, God. You know, I, that's not a, a question that I struggle with. Now, when I don't work for three years, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a time between my uh, freshman year of high school and the first week of my senior year, I didn't work a day. Mm. I auditioned my tail off for three years. Didn't get a thing. And you begin to question, okay, well, is this what I should do? Is this, is this supposed to happen? Is this, was this only for a time? You know, and you kind of feel robbed to an extent because it's like, well, crap. You know, I thought this was what I was, you know, supposed to do. You just have to stick to your guns and, you know, do what you know is right, regardless of, you know, public opinion. Right. Definitely take that into account. I'm not going to, you know, say entirely disregard it. But you have to know where you drop your moral compass and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. My hardest thing professionally is when I'm on set and, and you know, I say something or do something, you know, within a scene. You know, maybe we don't have time to finish it. Maybe I don't get to take that character, that role, and that moment to where I want it to go. You know, and and we leave, we move on. And that particular scene, the dinner table scene from Talladega Nights, the freckle stuff from Wimpy Kid, um, those two things I know for sure will outlive me. Film, music, politics, the work you do will outlive you. Yeah. Especially in, in those industries for sure. Now, my dad's always done construction work. He builds houses. That might outlive him. But his face isn't stuck to it. Right. Know? His voice isn't attached to it. His ideas aren't attached to it. So for me, that is the hardest thing is going, is, is leaving a room full of super talented individuals where a ton of blood and sweat and tears and funds are on the line. 
and you go, crap, I could have done that better. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have you don't a chance. chance. You don't get the chance to fix it. And that's hard. That is easily one of the worst feelings I've had in my life. Not that yeah. you walk into something entirely unprepared, but that you know that, man, I could have done that better. Or I could have done it, you know, this way or that. And that's where I have to just lean on God. No, okay. I know I'm here. Regardless of the literal hell that this set may or may not be right now, um, I know I'm here for a purpose. Right. And whether that's to let this, you know, special forces vet sleep on my couch. With a mask on and everything. With, with, a, with a facial mask on and everything. <laughs> with that or, black charcoal yeah, mask. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Or whether that's directly witness to people. I, when I was nine years old, we were working on a film in the mountains of California, middle of nowhere, Big Bear Lake Gregory area, the middle of nowhere. Um, I had just done Talladega Nights a couple years before. Huge budget film, obviously. Huge social, um, cultural impact there. You know, I'm doing this next film is independent, super low budget, entirely on a different end from what I'm accustomed to or was at that point in time. We go, God, why are we here? Because this is not going how we thought it was. And literally, as we're praying that prayer, me and my mom in our hotel room in the mountains, this kid that we're working with, literally four doors down from us, was giving his life to Christ because one of our other cast members dad was a pastor and had led him to Jesus and the next morning we wake up and he goes hey man I got saved and it's like okay you know that's a direct sign here yeah, right but then you turn around and it's like oh well man you should you should and I'm like nine at this point you know it's like all right so you should you know you should start going to a church and you know you should do this and that and get connected and plug in and he turns around and he goes well okay well well how much does it cost oh my oh my goodness and you sit back and go, this, is this how people view the church? Church, yeah. You know, how much does salvation cost? You know, to an extent you look at it, and, you know, fleshly has cost everything. Right. You know, the, to walk this out, you, you, you know, sacrifice yourself daily. Right. But he looks at it from, you know. Oh, okay. How much does it does it cost to be a Christian? How much do I have to spend to be here as a child? Yeah. And, you know, part of me wants to you know look and laugh and you know sit there at it, which is fine, and that's I feel like that's totally natural and rational. But I knew without a shadow of a doubt that that's where I needed to be, no more than I'm supposed to be right here at this table. Yeah. I don't doubt it, and that's the 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 beauty of it all. And I appreciate it. I love this idea of sending that you're talking about. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, Irwin McManus, Mosaic Church, L.A., obviously very influential yeah. in that culture. Um, he talks a lot about, and has for many years, he talks a lot about the church should be owning the artistic expressions that we enjoy. And I think historically yeah. we could easily point that out between the cathedrals and, right. you know, the great artists, Michelangelo, Da Vinci or whatever. Right. Um, he talks a lot about that. We should be owning that. And I think for for us as believers, as Christians, um, that's been a challenge. Number one, to just engage the culture. 
But number two, it's also been a challenge for us to just send people to take the risk in the culture. And I think here at Lee, you know, our motto is, you know, raising up Christian leaders for a complex world. And so for us to be sending students such as yourself or others out into this this world to lead in these capacities is critical. I think that is the mission of the church. I, I think, you know, we, we've kind of inverted it to a consumption. We've got to get people in, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like we've got to get more people in, but in reality, what we need to be doing is sending more people out, right? So help, help us conquer some of those fears, right? I mean, so um, when you engage in a culture that is so radically different from the church, Westmore and West Hollywood are as far apart as you could possibly yeah, imagine. Absolutely. Okay. I have friends in both. Okay. <laughs> I do too. I, I, I do too. So I'm left out. I'm yeah, friends so, in West Hollywood. No, I got friends in West Hollywood and I got friends in West yeah. Westmore. Right. Two radically different mm-hmm. conversations. But at the same time, the call to go still stands. It doesn't matter where you're from. And stories like this with this kid and the concepts that he had about church. I mean, how would you encourage a pastor? How would you encourage a pastor and say, hey, here's who I am. This is what I'm doing. Here's, here's how your students, your, your church can make a difference. Like, is there, is, is there something you could, and I know I'm asking you questions off the cuff no, that you probably no, didn't fine. prepare for, but conversation is just too good. So uh, how would you encourage a pastor to take that risk to send people? I think the most important thing, and I mean, it, it goes back to, and this is solely from personal experience for me, is living it out. It's not about, uh, for me, it's about the little things. You know, they may, in the, in the morning before I go to work, whether that's at 5.45, 4.30 in the morning, or 8 o'clock at night, and we go in for a 13-hour night shoot, is, you know, you, you prepare in private. You know, you, you be sure all your ducks in a row. I mean, for me, I, I'll, you know, I'm taking a shower. I'll crank up my, my Bethel or, or, or whatever. Or whether that's, you know, okay, I'm in the trailer and I'm doing it. And, you know, you have these these little subtle things. It's not about beating people over the head with it. It's not about, um, for sure, I think our, our biggest misconception is it's not calling them out for what's wrong. You know, right. it's not calling them out for, yo, you shouldn't be smoking that right now. Now. You can, and you can you can do that in a way that is not condemning. It's not super judgmental because that's the kind of, um, oh shoot, I can't think of the word. Um, that's you know how a lot of people take us for. Right, or, right. Um, that's they, the perception they, how they, how they, they the, have. The perception yeah. is how they perceive how they perceive us. Um, but you live it out, and you love people. You love people who, who for the most part don't understand what love is and 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 we as christians do on a, on a, on a much greater level on a much greater scale than than those who don't believe you know I'm, i understand that there is a god who sent his son to die for me to give his life up for me yeah. so that i in my all my craziness can have eternal life can live can live this thing out and can help others to attain that you just have to be willing to love them, whatever that is and whatever that looks like, and just live it out, and, and that will speak for itself. You don't have to beat people over the head. Just walk it out. In, in this role or this idea of being sent that, that Rob's talked about, and I, I can't imagine being your mama, 
um, because she was sending you to a culture that that was obviously some at, at times counter to what was going on in the home. How did she sort of guide you, or how maybe what were her prayers in sending you to an environment that was um, what we would say, quote unquote, worldly in the Hollywood? Um, what kind of influence did she have in that? Psalms ninety one. We would we prayed that every day, every morning before I would go to work. I don't probably for okay. She was with me for ten films. Probably all ten of them. Bef right before we did Talladega Nights, um, the youth pastor at my at my home church in a, in Alabama did a, did a little message on Psalms ninety one. Um, for those who live in the shelter of the Most High, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord: He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He is my God, and I'm trusting in Him, for He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. You know, on and on and on and on and on. You know whatever, recite the whole chapter. We did our best to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, you know, knowing that, all right, these evils will not touch us, for he sends his angels to protect us wherever we go because he sent us here. He sent us here for a purpose, and you just kind of have to sit back and breathe, you yeah. know, even though this is hard and it's different and it's wild and we don't understand what's going on. I think my biggest thing as, and I, I really feel like I've learned this at Lee, is to sit back and know that it is okay that I do not know what's going on right now. It, yeah. is, it is okay to just pull back and be like, you know what, I don't know what's going on, and that's okay, and it's not my job to. Like, All right, X, Y, and Z are happening. I'm, I'm a people pleaser by nature. I just learning that you know what, you, you can't do everything. You can you can do it to the extent that you have influence, and that's it. You don't know everything, and it's going to be okay. Sit back and breathe, because you're going to live. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to kill you. Um, my mom played. I mean, that's the only reason why I'm able to do what I'm doing is is she was there and she toughed it out. And you know, when I, as a kid, did something or said something sideways that it wasn't because I'm not perfect. You know, she let me know it, and she was my mom. That there was, <laughs> there was one time we were doing one of the Wimpy Kid movies, and, and she had said, "Hey, don't play this game while you're at school because we have school on set." And I don't think I've ever told anybody this story. And my, <laughs> and, my, and, my and my teacher was like Natalie Smith. She was our teacher through the whole thing. She was like, "Yeah, you, you can play if you finish your work." And my mom came in the school. Okay, so my teacher had said I could. My mom said I couldn't. And as my mom was walking up, Karin Brar, he does a, a, a ton of a Disney stuff. He just did um, Jesse and Bunked. He was like, hey, your mom, Grayson, your mom's coming. And I was like, you know, cut the game off. But it was little stuff. You know, at that point in time, all the moms were like, he had Karin watching out so his mom wouldn't see him playing what it was, even though that wasn't what was happening at all. You know, she called me on it. Yeah. It's like, this is what happened. Even though that was okay for, for you to be playing it because Natalie said you could. It's all about perception. Yeah. You know? And so, not that I had to have everything perfect. You know, again, we got to loosen up a little bit. 
not that we should let everything fly. That's not what I'm saying. But she kept me on my toes. She's the reason why I'm here. The 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 reason the the house that I grew up in, my the faith um, that my family integrated into everything, is the only reason why I'm here. Because that's what's I don't want to say grounded. That that sounds um, conceited. Um, but that's the only thing that, that that's held me to what I know. That established everything that I do now. I feel like that's the only reason that. I have probably the, have undergone, underwent, whatever, the spiritual growth that I have had. Sure. It's because I had right. that, that foundation. Because if I didn't have it, you know, Katie bar the door. Like, there's no telling what I would be doing because I've, I've been blessed with, with a ton of different off-the-wall opportunities, whether that's three years doing Wimpy Kid movies in Vancouver or hanging on a Navy cruiser destroyer boat with Tom Hanks for two months. Um, you have to be solid in what you know, and that's attribute all that to my folks. I think Mama, what I think I think we need a shout out to Mama. She did a pretty, Mama, good, job. Yeah, pretty Mama. good job. Yeah, Mama did a good job. But I think it also talks about the importance of having incredible mentors in your life and just people who are willing to invest in you. And um, you know, some people have that, some people don't. And I think I think part of the the struggle and the journey for us is helping those who don't have it find it it. right and that's good that's good friendship that's Mm -hmm. good leadership so man we got time for one more question far away we we get two questions we got two questions yeah i'm gonna do one before you do one okay so you're from alabama from alabama war eagle or roll tide roll tide roll tide tide. so here's the thing both my parents went to aum my dad's an alabama fan mom's an auburn fan my uncle's an auburn fan uh that was like how do they say married? Yeah, yeah, for, for real. Um, so number one is like, all right, are you saved? Like, do you know Christ? And then the second question is Auburn or Alabama. That's it. That's always the follow-up question. It's like, all right, we have dunked you. Now who are you going to pull for? Where's your allegiance? where's your allegiance? No, I mean, I was like four or five, and I was like, all right, well, well Auburn's a city, and Alabama's a state. And a state's bigger than a city, so they should win more. And I'm pulling for Alabama. Yeah, I like but that, that was during like that was during like Mike Shula years. So we were horrible. But I mean, I didn't know what was going on. So the on. Lord's like, redemption. The Lord. The Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He is. That's right. Okay. So last question here. Um, what is the greatest lesson you've learned in college outside of the classroom? Oh man. Oof. That's a big one. And it can be something practical, like yeah. don't stick your finger in a fire or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything deep. But <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't have to be anything deep. <laughs> hmm. um, that it is all right to not be okay sometimes. That's great. It's okay um, not to be okay. It's okay not to be. And I know that's, that's fairly elementary, but a lot of, I know, I know least students and staff and faculty included you, you grow up in, in you know this this Christian environment your whole life, or, or maybe not. And it's right. like okay, you you understand the the pressure and the, and the stakes that okay I need to have, you know my life in order. No more than Westmore with the kids, but that you know what you're you're not going to all the time. You're not going to have everything right. You will slip up and you will fall flat on your face. And that's okay. That happens. I mean, my favorite thing, and this is on a little practical level, is when the you know we're doing music, whether it's you know wherever, and somebody screws up. 
I love it when I screw up solely because I'll never do that again, you know? <laughs> and you learn something from it, you know? Okay, crap, I shouldn't handle that like that. Well, now I know. Now you know. Now I know. And that it's, it's, it's okay to not be okay and just to have the integrity. Um, and I, I think the, the strength, because that, that takes a lot, especially just growing up in this environment to go, I shouldn't have done that or this or whatever. And I know that. And I'm not all right. And I can't do this by myself. That's my big one. That's my biggest takeaway out of all of it. That's really good. It's so freeing. I hope that all the students are listening and and even adults take that away, that it's it's okay to not be okay. I think that's an important lesson. So, Race fans, Grayson Russell. Thank y'all. Man, it's been been exciting to have you on the show. Yes, sir. And uh, as we always say here at the Collective Co podcast, you have a seat at the table, man. Sweet. Well, I appreciate and, it. And uh, we appreciate you. So how can people stay in touch with you? Uh, go see Greyhound. Go see Greyhound. Greyhound like the bus. Greyhound like the dog comes out May 8th, 2020. May 8th, 2020. Go see Greyhound. Tom Hanks movie. Grayson's in. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, social media. How can we stay uh, in touch? Grayson C. Russell. So G-R-A-Y-S-O-N-C-R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Grayson C. Russell. All right, man. Hey, blessings to you, bro. We're proud of you. We are so proud of you that you're part of our family and uh, just proud of the work that you're doing in in an incredible environment. And uh, blessings to you, my friend. Excited to see what God has for your future. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collectivist Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders?